what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. It's like a plant. You're not growing, you're dying. So it's like I really wanted to keep growing and start something new. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend, Kashia Rosenberg. Today, I am so honored to interview Chanel Arnold-Wheeler, the founder of home organization and design company, Home on Point. Chanel launched Home on Point 30 days after she left a corporate job, thinking that she would become a full-time mom. She has been building her business ever since while going through IVF to bear her two children, soon to be three, and while caring for her husband who was diagnosed with cancer in 2022. When I met Chanel, I immediately became curious about how she manages so much, and I'm so excited to start with her childhood and uncover the roots of her endlessly positive and gorgeously organized perspective on life. Chanel, welcome to Meet Bridget. Hi, thank you. That was awesome. (laughs) Well, we're so excited to have you here today. Um, For our audience, give them a little bit of a picture of what your life looks like right now, where you are at in your pregnancy, um, and just all the things that you're managing again. I just got the tip of the iceberg there. Yes. So I am in my third pregnancy with IVF. I'm about halfway, which is so exciting. Um, Baby girl will be due in December. And the last couple of years have just been a whirlwind. We are building two homes, um, you know, have two little ones at home. My husband, like you were saying, was diagnosed in 2022. And I've been keeping my company going home on point and taking on clients. I've had to slow down a little bit in the last year, but we're ramping back up and it's just been it's been an awesome experience. I mean, I would say this is probably when it rains, it pours with things that happen in your life. And right now I feel like I'm in a rainy season, but there's so much beauty in that. And it's just exciting. I feel like we're kind of at the light at the end of the tunnel with the new baby, the new houses. And my husband's almost done with his treatments with cancer. So um, I think 2024 is our year. I love it. How old are your other two? I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. Yes. (laughs) Hopefully you have three, three and under basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love So it's going to be wild. And what kind of um, cancer is your husband dealing with, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. So I'm actually so new to the cancer world. So I apologize if my verbiage is off. I'm still learning. I realized how much I really didn't know about cancer until going through this experience with Justin. It started with a mole on his back and that was a cancerous mole when they biopsied it. It actually turned into secondary cancer that happened in some of his lymph nodes and it spread. So um, they had to do immediate surgery. He actually had to go back for a secondary surgery and he started immunotherapy immediately. Um, Immunotherapy is kind of the, I would say, entry level of chemo. So it goes um, immunotherapy, radiation and chemotherapy. So it's still um, 
you know, intravenous at the hospital in the cancer ward. And he sits there every three weeks and gets medication. He didn't lose his hair, but he had a lot of symptoms. You know, he'd be down and out and it was, it was a wild past couple of years, but Again, he only has two more treatments left and we're just so excited. Yeah, it sounds like you guys just have, it's definitely like the light is there at the at the end of the tunnel, but you're very much in it. Um, with your organization company, you've had some really cool and known clients. Can you tell us, give us a little glimpse of, you know, some exciting clients that you've had or big projects recently? Yes. So um, when I launched, I actually launched 30 days after being pregnant with my daughter, Wylan. And I just wanted something more. And I've always been really into organization. And I reached out to my friend, Kristen Doty, for any of you guys are um, Vanderpump Rules fans. And I actually knew her socially. So I was like, hey, do, do you mind like if we collaborate and, you know, I can come organize. She just had bought a new house in Valley Village. She's like, oh my gosh, of course. She's so cool. She's always been so supportive. And then from there, kind of snowballed into a lot of Bravo celebrities. And I mean, how much fun. I love Bravo and I love watching all those shows. So it was, you know, Lala, Stassi, Brittany and Jax, Katie and Tom when they were together. And then Katie when they were not together. And then some people on, you know, all the other different reality shows kind of started coming out of the woodworks. And it's just been it's been awesome. Well, I think it's such a testament to how, you know, organically things can happen in the power of a referral. You know, you do a really good job when you have an opportunity. And, you know, I think in in so many entrepreneurial businesses, sales businesses, you know, you can't underestimate the power of of just word of mouth. And you doing a good job for one person, you have no idea how many more exponential jobs will come out of that. So cool. Right. Right. I love it. Well, I'd love to take it way back because you, I mean, you're, you're handling so much right now and it could be, I mean, I could write all those things down on paper and another person with another attitude or perspective could just be very different in this moment than you are. You're (laughs) super optimistic. And I'd love to kind of take it back to your childhood and explore if there were people that kind of impacted that or implanted that in you in a way um, or any experiences early on. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in a very kind of religious home where my grandparents and my parents kind of very Christian. A lot of people in my family were pastors. Um, And on paper, we looked like a very, very religious household. But behind the scenes, I didn't read the Bible. I wasn't going to church every Sunday. But what was really instilled in me was just the power of positive thinking and always looking at the bright side. So if something in my life just wasn't working out or I was really upset, Obviously, my parents, my grandparents would hold space for me and let me be upset, but not long enough to really kind of wallow in my ways. It would be immediately followed up with kind of let's look at the bright side of things and what are we grateful for? You know, I grew up with a lot of power of affirmations. We always went around the table and affirmed each other on our birthdays. So, you know, even if we aren't the biggest huggers every time you walk in a room, you know where people stand and it's very affirming, very positive. I think that just kind of propelled me into a way of thinking that, you know, life is what you make it. 
my parents were always pushing me to get involved with things. You know, we grew up in a household where I had to do every sport. All my, I grew up with all my cousins, all my brothers. Everyone was boys. I had one girl cousin, but she was a lot older. And so it was just very sports oriented, very goal oriented. Just, you know, you're one of the boys and you almost fake it till you make it when you're one of the youngest and you're a girl and, you know, they're going to rollerblade down the biggest hill in the neighborhood and you might be scared, but you go, yeah. <laughs> you just get in there. Okay. Tell us how, so how many brothers did you have and what were like the age differences there? Yeah. So I had an older brother, a younger brother, and we actually adopted guy from Africa, Taps, my other brother. He was about 18 when we met him and it kind of was organic where my parents would always do trips to Africa, was in the church and they met him and he was just amazing. He was, you know, grew up in an orphanage and then it kind of turned into, oh, well, Taps is moving to America and we're going to send him to music school and you know, we're going to raise money to get him braces and, oh, he's going to have the holidays with us. And it just kind of organically turned into he's a part of our family. So three brothers and I would say like 10, there's like 10 of us cousins. And we all wow. grew up in the same town. That is so cool. Yeah, all kind of cool. the same high schools. And I just always had that built in community from day one, which was so nice. I think that is so cool. And what a cool experience, you know. I think adoption is so beautiful in so many different ways, but to also uh, to adopt 18, right? You said, right. That's a grown human, <laughs> you know, right. um, that has seen life differently and to integrate into a new family and as, as children to also be part of that and have your parents kind of create that situation for you. What was that like? Did you guys have any kind of growing pains integrating him into your family? Um, and what did you kind of learn from his perspective? Yeah. I mean, talk about the power of positive thinking. He is truly taps. My brother is truly one of the most positive per people I've ever met. He grew up in Zimbabwe in an orphanage. It actually just burned down a couple of weeks ago. So he's going out to Africa um, next week to kind of get a handle on where all the kids are and how everything's going. But his stories are incredible. You know, it makes you think of what you're going through and the small things, and I get that everything's relative and that everyone has growing pains and everybody is going through something. But when you really take yourself out of this bubble of Orange County and my really small bubble of Orange County and my even my college years and L.A. years, everything's been so insulated around similar type of people. It just burst it in the most big, beautiful way possible. And appreciation just starts flowing in even more. You know, he grew up in the orphanage his whole life. He has an amazing voice. He's a singer and songwriter. And he used to just like sing the little babies to sleep. He would crawl through a window where it was like the older kids and go to the baby ward and sing them to sleep and just having, you know, nothing. And they, at 18, they just say, okay, goodbye and send him down the road. I mean, it's just, it's a wild way of thinking. When I was 18, I had Everything my parents can give me, you know, I got a new car going off to college and went right into a dorm room and my mom helped me set that up. So I just had such security and safety from such a young age. And it's really cool to see that somebody like him with such a big background and so many trials and tribulations have just risen from it all. And he's yeah. so positive and so cool and so fun and so talented. 
I love that. I think that, you know, across stories of a lot of different people that we've interviewed, one thing that I've picked up as a pattern is that, you know, when you, especially when you come from somewhere, I mean, most people come when they're teenagers, the world they live in can sometimes feel like a little bubble. Like you just know what you know in your high school and your friends that you've grown up with, especially if you haven't moved around a lot. Then you experience at some point, whether it's going to college and meeting a bunch of people or having someone new join your family or some big eye-opening experience when when you're young, we all have these moments of like realizing that people are, there are people that are very different from us all around right. us, you know, right. and whatever it takes to make that happen. It sounds scary, but I think that it it really inspires a lot of gratitude in in people when they realize those moments where it's like, wow, like there is so much out there. Um, and it can actually be really empowering and encouraging, even though it seems like it would be a scary thing to realize like how how many different paths there are. Right, exactly. Well, what were you like as a really young girl? Like what was school like for you, your your friends? What was your personality? Yeah, I was always really bubbly and silly and giggling was like my favorite thing ever. I mean, I would just giggle until I peed my pants, literally. And it was just so much fun. I think the way that I was like brought up of uh, my parents were really competitive in sports. And they were always really like people called them Barbie and Ken. They just were so outgoing and fun. And I feel like that carried on to just the way that I lived my life as a little girl. I just was really confident. I always thought I could do anything. I never felt insecure in things, even when I think my parents pushed me in a way where they would basically say, go get involved. Just go get involved. Be in part of everything. You know, be friends with everyone. And it was never to strive for perfection. I never had to be the team captain. I never had to get straight A's. I mean, my parents didn't put actually that much importance on school as long as I was doing pretty well. And, you know, I graduated with a three, seven. I didn't um, get straight A's or do any AP classes by any means, but definitely always just wanted to get in there. Very social, very chit chatty. I think the first time I was sent to the principal's office was just because I wouldn't shut up. I just was such a chatterbox. Probably got all the other kids. Um, you know, going on something. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, yeah, I think that's such a cool distinction that you made about you know. I'm always interested in parenting stuff now, obviously, as we have like little ones. But the difference right. between a parent encouraging their kid to just go get involved, go try it, like do it, try, right. you know, put yourself out there, like stop, don't question yourself, but go, but without the pressure of like, and you have to be the best at it. Right. You know, and how freeing, like, yes, it can be scary for a kid to be like, oh, but I don't want to. I don't want to go try it. You know, that is right. a, a hump to get over. But without the pressure of needing to be a top performer, it's like then you have the freedom that if you are a top performer in something, great, you know, but right. you tried it and you're putting yourself out there. I think that's such a nice, like, flexible way of encouraging your kids. Exactly. I remember one time my parents actually put me in like a musical and yeah. I mean, I sound like Guttle and Little Mermaid when he's singing or just a dying parrot. Like, I have no voice whatsoever, but they put me in it. I had a small part because I think the poor woman that was like, running the show was like, I don't know what to do with this little girl. So I had like three lines. And I mean, I watched the video and I think, God, you know, bless Chanel, little Chanel's little soul. I just belted it and I thought it was so good. 
And looking back, I mean, just given that perspective of go get involved, be confident. And, you know, again, I wasn't always the best, the brightest, got the straight A's. I don't think I was ever, you know, the leader of the teams I was on. I was never captain or anything like that. But I was I was there. I got the experience. And that was the most fun for me. What things were you like really drawn to and what things did you excel at and did they line up? Yeah. So we had to do everything. Like I was in karate and basketball and sailing and everything as a little girl. And my mom kind of just started pushing when she saw me and my brothers excel at something. So I was naturally just a little bit better at volleyball. Um, so I started playing club volleyball um, as well as, you know, at my high school. And it was so fun. But I think in Orange County, especially, and I'm five, six, listen, I wasn't going to play in college. I think even my parents sat me down sophomore year and were like, you know, are you, this isn't going to get you into college. Do you want to keep going? Is this something that is super important to you? And I kind of thought about it. I was like, no, you know, all my friends are cheerleaders. I kind of want to be a cheerleader now. So I switched over and became a cheerleader, I think my sophomore year of high school. But I was always really into everything. I mean, I really do enjoy sports. I think that if I sit down, I can always excel at school, but it wasn't something that held my interest right away or was something where I had to be in all the AP classes. But yeah, sports and being around people. And when you're a cheerleader, you get to go to all the sports, yeah. right? So you get to watch all the games and you get to be a part of all of it. So it was a pretty natural fit for me. I love it. As a child or a young adult, did you already like have some skills of organization? Did you like looking back, do you see any of those seeds kind of being planted? Yes. So I was obsessed with even the container store. I mean, I remember for one Christmas, I was like, mom, let's just redo my closet. And I was only probably just like in high school or freshman when most people wanted probably like a new juicy couture set or like those rocket dogs. You know, I, I'm probably dating myself, but <laughs> that was like what was really cool. I'm like, no, let's go to the container store and like redo my closet. I just like things in a specific way. My room was never huge, so I kind of got savvy of containers and functionality. I think when you organize in a functional way and you're eliminating things and making room for new things and editing, anybody can be organized. You know, I think anyone can really do anything if you put your mind to it. I mean, obviously, you know, you might have a height limit like I did when I was playing volleyball. I'm only five sticks, so I'm not going to go pro or be an Olympic athlete, but if you really put your mind to organizing, it is so simple. It is very simple. I really lead with functionality because I think that's the biggest part. You know, you can have something look super pretty and design worthy, but, you know, if I fold a bunch of jeans, am I going to keep that up? Maybe not. You know, you really have to figure out what works best for you or in my case now, what works best for my client, right? I have to kind of look at their whole, whole life, you know, whether they have kids. So, you know, do I put the glass jars higher where the kids can't reach them? Everything has to have intention. Everything has to have functionality. And a bonus that it looks great, but it has to lead with function. And at an early age, I kind of saw the difference of if I organized the space and make it look really cool, but it just didn't work, my room would be a disaster and be a mess, you know, two days later. Or if I did it with higher functionality, I could keep it more organized and I felt more prepared going into things. I think that's such a great point because 
a lot of people might think that like, yes, would I love to be organized? Sure. But like my life is crazy and I don't have time or like I just, you know, I j- I'm just not that way. But, you know, having that second question of like, but is it, are you set up for success? You know, is, right. is, is the functionality of the organization, do, is it aligned with the lifestyle that you live, the amount of time, like the, your most frequently used items and areas of your home? Like, do you have that thought put into your space? Because as you said, like everyone can be organized. It's just a matter of um, the way things are kind of set up for you. I'm so excited. Right. I want to definitely do a deep dive um, because I think a lot of our, uh, our listeners would be interested in just some of your tips about functional living. So we're going to do that after we get through a little bit more of your young adulthood. Yeah. Um, yes. I have a million questions there, but okay. So you, you had this already interest as a young person. Was there a parent or grandparent or somebody that kind of like showed you this kind of, you know, thought process or was it something that just organically you were drawn to? I was just organically drawn to it. You know, I think my grandma was a clutter bug. So then my mom was kind of a minimalist. And I see a lot of this where it's kind of every other generation. And so maybe I was built to be a clutter bug, but I was like, no, the minimalist life of, you know, having means things a little bit more streamlined is a beautiful way of living. But I like things. I like tchotchkes. So I'm kind of a little bit of a both. Um, I want to lean towards the minimalistic side. I think that's who I want to be. But I think I'm more of my grandma who just has so many things and little items and all that stuff. So what I have to be very aware of is editing, right? So if I'm going to be shopping or I'm going to bring in things into my house, I have to make sure that I'm editing things out or else you're, you know, on your way to hoarders. So, and it's a slippery slope. I mean, I totally get how people can go there. So with everything, you know, um, that was just something where I saw the benefits of having an edited life like my mom and my dad, where their home was, you know, just more minimalistic and they could actually find things. Their closets were more streamlined. My mom had, you know, five pairs of really nice jeans and she didn't just keep buying jeans where my grandma would just keep buying jeans. So um, I think that you can live either life. You can be somebody who shops a lot and brings a lot into your home. You can be a minimalistic, but you have to know how to keep that in a functioning way where all of a sudden you're not overwhelmed and overstimulated. Totally. I love that. Okay. So let's see. You you were finishing out high school and everything. I know you went to Arizona for college. How did you make that yes. decision? And what were you kind of thinking about focusing on when you went into college? Yeah. So I think for me, I grew up where my dad was um, pretty into business and sales and my mom didn't work until we all went to college just because she was always playing tennis and she's very high functioning, but work was not her thing until we got a little bit older. And so for me, finding a career path, just, I don't know why, but I always just saw my life like three steps ahead. I always just was like, oh, I'm going to do this. And, you know, growing up religious with the power of prayer, power of manifesting, which I was actually doing at a young age, I just didn't understand that, you know, my parents were using the word prayer versus manifesting. I just always said things out loud. Like, 
a lot of people were going to Arizona or University of Arizona. I was like, oh, I really like University of Arizona. I started saying it out loud. And then my brain started computing that this is where I'm going to go. Finding a major was honestly one of those things where I just didn't want to take a lot of language classes, like yeah. Spanish classes. So I picked life sciences and I always was drawn to science. And I kind of thought, okay, well, this is a good career path if I want to go into medical sales. And somehow that got in my brain. And so I just always spoke into fruition that I'm going to be in medical sales. I'm going to do outside sales. I'm going to do medical sales. And I think when I started speaking my desires and dreams and beliefs out loud, that's how things always caught on in my life. Some people were always like, oh, Chanel, you're so lucky. You know, I graduated college in 2008 and there was a huge recession. Nobody was getting jobs. Everybody was moving home with their parents. We were kind of known as the boomerang generation of just moving home and you know, luck or manifesting and saying things out loud actually helped me get my first job in medical sales because I had somebody reach out and said, hey, I heard that you're interested in medical sales. You should come shadow me. You should come see what it's all about. Cut two, a month later from graduation, they offered me a job. So if I didn't say that out loud, if I wasn't very verbal and saying this is what I want to do, I don't, no one would know, right? And it would just be me thinking about it in my own head. But me saying stuff out loud and it catching on and then me, you know, rising to the occasion and doing the interview and um, getting the job um, that kind of connected the dots and bridged the gap. I love that. I think it's so it's so amazing. Like when you get really specific about what you want and then you put it out into the world, like you have to get it specific, you know, because I think that right. more often than not, we're like, oh, frustrated. You know, I don't know what to do next or I I don't have what I need. And it's like, but but like, do you really know? Do you like, have right. you thought about it? And then have you asked about it? Have you put it out there? Right. Um, and then when you take the time to do those things, like really the tools come to us if we're paying attention. I think that's so cool. Medical sales is a pretty specific career. How did you first find out about that career? Did you know somebody that was working in that space or did they talk and about it? Somebody's older sister, actually. They were kind of painting the picture that I mean, it, it's such a cool job in your 20s. I have different feelings about it now, but first job out of your, you know, college career, you're given a car, you're given freedom to go and run your territory. You're not going into an office every day. You're, you know, meeting and chatting with people, which for me was just heaven on earth. I get to just chit chat all day with these people and everything that they kind of laid out with my friend's older sister of, hey, this is what it looks like. And not to mention, it's a lot of money for a 20-year-old to be given right out of college. I mean, it's a very, it's a very lucrative job if you do well. So all these things just kept checking the boxes of, wow, this is the career for me. Because I think growing up where school wasn't ever held as such a high importance and, you know, succeeding was, but not necessarily this direct path where I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or go into the family business, right? My brain had to get a little bit more creative. And as I was hearing about medical sales, I was like, yes, this sounds perfect. Like sign yeah. me up. And so I think it was just that initial exposure as my friend's older sister. And then she was the one that kind of helped me propel me into getting to know some people and networking and then getting my first job. For someone that might be interested in that as a career path, what does like the pay structure and kind of startup look like for someone that's brand new into that industry? Yeah. So when I was doing it, which is probably 15 years ago, you are looking at something where you get a pretty good 
base salary. And then you get a lot of good benefits. I mean, these companies are big and have a lot of money behind them. And then you also get, you know, expenses where you can be taking doctors out. You could be doing these lunch and learns and you're bringing them food. So it's just it's very social. And then you also get, you know, benefits when you're making these big sales. You're getting commission off of that. And so it's that structure for me where I liked it because I got to kind of have this safety net where I know I'm going to be able to pay my bills and those good, good base salary. But the more and harder you work, it really pays off. So you get in this competitive notion, not with anybody else in the company, with yourself, where you're like, wow, you know, I'm going to be seen and I'm going to be rewarded off of my performance. Now, I know there's there's medical device sales and there's also medical mm-hmm. um, like pharmaceutical sales. Which side yes. are you on? So I kind of did a little bit of both. I worked for a company where we sold a medical device, but we also sold medication. So it was things with oral cancer screening, also things for periodontal diseases, and we would be selling the medicine to the oral surgeon. I mean, it's fascinating. They really send you into probably a month or two of training, and then you're out in the field talking to these doctors and speaking their lingo. And it's just fascinating. I mean, the medical world is so many highs, so many lows. And it was such a great experience. I think that it, again, just built a lot of confidence in me thinking, and I could think the whole time. I mean, there were moments inside of me where I was like, am I supposed to be doing this? Do people know that I'm 22? Like, how did I get this job? Where am I? And I think that's been a part of my life a lot where all of a sudden I'm looking in the room. I'm like, how did I get in this room? But then you kind of just, (laughs) yeah. And I honestly just would fake it till you make it. I'm like, well, someone chose to put me in this room. I'm happy being in this room. I want to be in this room. I'm going to fight to stay in this room. So it just was really important to know my worth, but then also know that I had a really good experience sitting in front of me and to work, you know, really hard to keep it. What do you think were like your major learnings or like the biggest, you know, skills that came out of working that career? Time management is huge. You know, you have to know a territory. I remember when I was doing training, um, I thankfully had a GPS in my car, but some people didn't. So they would be taking out their maps. I don't even remember what they're called. Yeah. Like, What was it? Was it map? <laughs> quest or something no no it was like the straight up books oh, like were there actually <laughs> oh a, a, a real map <laughs> a real map and she's like going through her book and I just thought oh I can't I don't think that this is gonna work for me like I this is not gonna end well for me getting on these freeways in LA and you know trying to tie management and you know my my boss is in Nebraska where he might not understand LA traffic and so you know, thankfully I did have a GPS and I didn't have to flip and scroll through my maps because that would have, that would have ended my career day one yeah. with outside sales. Uh, but it's really time management. And then also, again, just being appreciative of what you've been given and um, not wasting that. You know, they're giving you so many gift cards and so many things to be interacting with the doctor. And there's so much room for lack of a better word, like shadiness on the outside sale reps. I mean, they could really, you could, you could really lie. You could be lying in your, you know, reports. You could be doing all that. But then 
you're not going to be hitting the commission. So I think that if you really work hard and you're in an outside sales job, the structure to succeed is there, but it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And that's kind of why I took a step out because maintaining that for me with a family just didn't seem realistic. And I always know when it's, it's a bow out or ghost or leave a party or leave a room. And when I did leave, it was on a high and it was great. And it was such a great experience. For someone who's never heard like the term outside sales before, can you explain what that, what that is? Yes. So essentially you run a territory. My territory in the beginning was huge. It was pretty much all of Los Angeles and running my own territory. There were sales people within all of Southern California. So every company is kind of different, right? So the company I started with, there was about six reps in California and it all gets divided up by zip code. So, you know, you can't really be talking to doctors and somebody else's zip codes. It's very well mapped out. Mm-hmm. Then you go into your territory and you get to just sell, sell, sell. And you can go on any doctor's door that's on your list, approved list, and maintain the relationships that were already in place prior to you being in that territory. And then you're also cultivating and you're also farming that territory. So, you know, people always say in the outside sales world, you have some people that are your bread and butter. Those are the big people, the people that are putting in a lot of orders, but you have to keep putting in other people. Um, You can't let a territory die. It's all very numbers based. So, and performance based. So for somebody that just wants to kind of clock in and clock out and have a routine, this is not a you know, job or profession for them because every day is so different. You know, I'm in downtown LA, I'm in Pasadena, I'm in Manhattan Beach, I'm running all over the place. And back in the day, we, we had to wear suits and heels and, you know, get dressed up and do these lunch and learns and you're like schlepping and sweating. And it's a lot of work, you know, getting in and out of the car. And it's, it's a lot of work. I couldn't imagine doing that pregnant, imagine doing that in my later years. Um, but in my 20s, when I was had the energy for it I mean it was just so much fun and then typically you have a regional manager that would run all of say California and they would come and do ride-alongs with you to make sure that you're keeping up with clients that you're sharp that your pitch and sales are up to what they want and that everything's kind of fine-tuned so that's kind of how you get checked in with and then you have it all on a computer base where you're kind of writing notes and telling them this is what I did for the day. I love it. Well, yeah. you can also tell, I mean, clearly it's a job where you have to be very organized, you know, very organized. And so you would thrive in that. Um, yes. It's very outgoing and kind of serves that, that social side of you, but also like meticulous and organized, you know, and functional, you know, where you're thinking about like, okay, like what's the best way for me to do this? I have these right. goals. No, I don't want to be like sifting through a, a map when I'm about to get on the 405. You know, right. I'm, I'm going to get a GPS and simplify this. Um, it's, it's funny, like those little like Easter eggs of things that you, you know, now obviously have refined. Yeah. So, well, yes. I also know, so you moved to New York. Did mm-hmm. you continuing in this job when you moved to New York or what did that kind of look like? What made you come to that decision? Yeah. I mean, I had a couple friends that lived in New York and I just remember I would get this feeling of, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't really understand, but I will live in New York. It's just but- something that I want to do and I want to do before I get married and settle down because 
most likely I'm going to move right back to Orange County, this town I grew up in. So um, it just was always something on the forefront of my mind. And like, again, what I did with anything else in my life, I just started speaking my desires and dreams out into the universe. I was very specific. I really want to move to New York. Um, I want to move in the next six months. And I just kept putting it out there. And I, you know, got a friend from, or I got a call from a mutual friend. And she was like, listen, I worked for this really like amazing, amazing, wealthy family in New York. They're so well connected. They're looking for a nanny, which is essentially you're just going to be doing homework and playing with the kids because they have anything and everything you could ever want. A driver, a chef, you know, three housekeepers and live-ins and all these things. And she's like, it's really a dream way to see New York. And I was like, done. Sign me up. Done. Sign, sealed, delivered. I'm there. So literally stepped away from medical sales and jumped on a plane with like four suitcases and two of my friends helped me move out to New York. And I started in this apartment with like three boys and I knew that wasn't going to be my forever apartment. I just needed to get there. I wanted to get there. And um, the friend that actually put me in contact with the family that I started working with, her and I started looking for apartments and we moved into the West Village. And our neighbor was Kate Hudson, which was so cool. We felt well, so New York. Yes. <laughs> and we lived on King Street and it was just a lovely experience. And for me, um, again, you know, I just get yourself in the room. I just needed to get to New York and really experience that life. And I learned so much from my boss at the time. I learned how to run a household. I learned how to, you know, be a wife and be a mother. And she's taught me so much. I feel like every experience that I've had has always had these amazing mentors, amazing people where I just would put myself in a room with these people and just kind of absorb and learn. And it was it was such a cool experience. The kids are now in college and seeing them on Instagram. I mean, it's just, it's wild. New York was a blast. I feel like it really shaped me into who I am today and kind of propelled me into my 30s and growing up. And I feel like no stone was left unturned. I don't, I feel like I really got all the, you know, craziness and funness out of my system and can kind of sit back and be a mom and not feel like I missed out on anything. I love it. I'm so curious. So what is for this family that you started working with? What like business were they were they in? And how did you like what were some of the takeaways that you had like or like things that you're like, I'm definitely going to recreate that when I like start a family? Yeah. So it was really cool. The um, dad actually owned a media company. So he was just like one of the first in his industries where he kind of developed guerrilla marketing and all these things. And I would just get snippets of being in the room with them. We never would really like talk directly or talk with business because, you know, with having kids, it's just go, go, go. So. But it was just so incredible to see. And you're around these really big, high profile families and walking into these homes and just seeing how the East Coast lives versus the West Coast, which for me was a huge, you know, eye opener. I think people in Orange County tend to lead with things and money. And New York, it's so much more quiet luxury, as they call it now, and just more subdued and not as intense. So, you know, my boss would always be like, you wear a lot of bright colors. I'm like, I know you guys are all in black. We're <laughs> definitely different. And, you know, I was always just a little bit more bubbly where they're more subdued. But as 
teaching when I would watch somebody, you know, it's really cool that I got to be a part of somebody's nuclear family, right? And you get to see how it worked before I had kids. And what I really took away, and I think that she was such a good mom, she had a lot of help, which I think if you're coming from a high, high profile family where the demands on her as a wife were huge. I mean, I didn't understand that because even in business in Orange County, there wasn't these galas, there wasn't the social pressure. And she was she was there all along with her husband. So she would have events every night. You know, she would have to be running the household, running the homes. They had multiple homes and she was right there with me with the kids, you know, but in New York, you can't send a kid in a taxi cab at six years old. So we would divide and conquer a lot where she would go and do hockey with her son and I would have to go to dance downtown with her daughter. So what I really liked, though, is she took every one of her kids. There was three of them and treated them as individuals. It wasn't just we all do dance. We all do this. We all go to this private school. Her daughters were very different. So her the needs of both of the daughters were met. One of them was more artistic and artsy. And so she kind of looked into art schools and seen where the youngest could thrive, where the other one was a little bit more, you know, let's just go into the mainstream private school sector that everybody else, you know, in their upper echelon of people went to. So she really did take a step back, look and evaluate what every kid's needs were, which as a mom now, I totally understand. You know, you think every birth is going to be the same. Every pregnancy is going to be the same. Every kid's going to be the same. And it's so radically different. Everything is so radically different. Yeah. It's almost like surprise. Like, how could you be so different when like, I thought that you were going to, you guys are going to have basically the same genes and stuff. Yeah. That's just exploding before my eyes right now. And I'm like, oh, wow, yes. you are com- completely different people. And it's so, so fun to be able to have that, you know, that perspective and clarity and respect for your own children. Yes. And that came, that came through watching the inner um, dynamics of a nuclear family, which is so cool that, that they let me into that. Right. I mean, the fact that I got to be up close and personal with them in a very vulnerable state and just learn so much. And it was it was such a cool experience. I never sought out that I wanted to be a nanny, but it really, after looking back, prepared me for motherhood, especially in this day and age where everything is more competitive. I think that growing up, my childhood versus an East Coast childhood is very different. But now I'm seeing, you know, Things on the West Coast in Orange County becoming more popular, like private school and everything of their these kids is just getting more and more pushed and competitive and their resumes and all those things in New York that didn't really phase me. I feel like being a part of a family that that was already there and that was already the structure of the town and a structure of the family. It's prepared me to now what I feel Orange County has kind of transitioned a little bit into. I also, you know, I, I like talking about this sort of, um, you know, behind the scenes, because I think there is a stigma about like, oh, you know, if you can afford to have help raising your children, then like you're not a present mom, you know, or right. you're not a present dad and you're, you're letting someone else raise your children if you have a nanny or help or whatever it is. But that, you know, as you were describing with this family, it's like, you know, it having the help actually enabled them, it sounds like, to be more specific with what each kid is doing and kind of I'm like obviously it, you know having help is a privilege and not everybody gets right. 
But I think it's also important to explain that like, there's no right way to do motherhood, you know, like finding the, what's functional for you, where it's like, this is what I want. I want to be able to treat my kids as individuals, or I want to be able to travel as much as possible with them or whatever it is, that is your priority as a mom, you know, finding what, what that looks like for you on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's all, it's all the good work, you know? Exactly. I found out very early that if you do have that privilege, if you do have that comfortability to get help, get help. You know, I had my daughter in the middle of the pandemic or in the beginning. She was born in February. Lockdown was in March. We were so scared. My parents, my grandparents, no one was allowed in the house. We cooked every meal. I was a new mom. My hormones were, you know, starting to level out, but hadn't. And it was just so hard. And now that I have help, it's just, I couldn't be more grateful because again, if I need to go take my daughter to gymnastics, I don't want to lug my son to just be a part of it. He gets to go and play soccer and be with his friends. And that's a divide and conquer thing. And it's not always just the parents who can do that or have the freedom to do that. So having extra hands for us has just been so amazing and such a blessing. And that is the first thing that I prioritized for my kids of getting that. And it makes me feel as a mom that they're a little bit more safe, right? So in our circumstance where Justin's in, you know, heavy duty immunotherapy and he can't be home alone with the kids, right? So if I have to go somewhere, be somewhere, we need a second hand here, a second pair of eyes, all the things, because in my brain, I'm like, he could pass out at any moment. He wouldn't need to sleep at any moment. And just having people around your kids who love them and can care for them and you know that they're safe. I mean, that to me is priceless. Well, I think also your experience of having been a nanny also probably informed the way that you, you treat the people that you employ. You know, I think that it's, you know, my husband and I talk about this. He works in the restaurant industry. And we've talked about just like the importance and the lessons that come from any kind of service job. And I think that, you know, a nanny is very clearly, you know, a big service job for children, you know, their most important treasures, their children. But having had the experience of working as a nanny, I'm sure that the way that you approach hiring and how you treat the, the nannies that you've hired, you know, is probably very much informed by that. Yes. And it was so important because I was always treated as part of the family, you know, with tough love. I remember the first day I could not figure out the subway system and I was 15 minutes late picking up um, the youngest from school and she's in kindergarten. And now looking back that my daughter's almost going to be in kindergarten, if she had to wait there for 10 minutes, I would be heartbroken. I'm surprised my boss didn't fire me on the spot because looking back, I probably would. But she kind of sat me down and was like, listen, I know they don't get, understand the subway situation, but do you want to be here? And I was like, absolutely. And so she always led with very direct, which I like. I think if you're just direct and you kind of get in there and just, yeah. you know, say your piece and are like, do you yeah. want to be here? And I was like, absolutely. She's like, great. We don't need to talk about it again, but you can't be late. And it was just in my head then I was always 25 minutes early on the Upper West Side, ready and waiting, you know, and it just was something where with her, she immediately made me feel part of the family and immediately gave me, you know, the courage to make big decisions. You know, New York is a hard city to navigate. It is hard with subways. It's hard with, well, I never took the kids on subways, but it's hard to navigate with taxis and traffic and 
even just the protests that sometimes happen and all the things and to keep her kids safe. I mean, that was the biggest thing, right? So everything was something where I was there as a frontline to keep her kids safe and be an extension of her. And it was just really cool how she just poured into me and made me feel part of the family. You know, we would get to go to her Hamptons house on Thanksgiving because she knew I wasn't going to fly home. And I feel like it's really important too for the kids to see that because with the people that are in my home, I want them to feel comfortable and confident to make those decisions for my children's safety, but also feel part of the family, you know, not feel like they're just coming in here to be an extra set of hands. That's amazing, but they're really part of the family dynamic and they're helping us raise our children. I mean, they are 100% helping us raise our children, which is a huge deal. I mean, there's nothing more intimate than that, too. Yes. I think that we have a, a wonderful nanny that that helps us with my kids. And I just like respect and honor her so much because she's yeah. she's seeing the day in and day out. She was here when I was I threw up 12 times when I was yeah. pregnant one day with Nina and was like, really, that was her first day on the job. I threw yeah. up 12 times that day. And I was like, I would love to show you around my house, but I cannot stop puking. Um, but she, she's in there in the nitty gritty of like figuring things out with our kids. And, um, I just think it's, it's such a cool, I, I'm so grateful to be able to create that job, you know? Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about, so when you came back from New York, what was kind of going on there? What made you come home? Um, and where did you go from there? Yeah. So I came home, um, for a boy at the time and I was like, anything that can kind of bring me back to California. I was always looking for that next thing. And my um, rent was kind of on what was it? my lease was coming up. And I just thought, do I want to spend another year here or do I want to start making my way back to California? And it became very clear. I always thought, you know, I will always remember New York. New York was such a big part of my life. New York will never remember me. I mean, at the time, you could come and visit me and I could get you into all the restaurants and all the clubs and all the things. But I don't even know where to go at this point. Like if you asked me what was cool in New York, I have no idea. Like I'm so far removed. But as I was coming home on the plane, I just remember this is the right decision. I want to be in California. I want to raise my children in California. And at that time, I had started dating somebody and he was living in California. So it just made so much sense. And you know, I moved back and my parents were thrilled because they were always so nervous I was going to just become, you know, a New York housewife or move to Connecticut and just kind of build a life out there. And they were terrified of that. So everything always happens for a reason. Obviously, that relationship didn't work out. But I think the biggest takeaway was that it brought me home. When you did come home and you had left that nannying position, what was kind of your idea of what you wanted to do regarding your career as yeah. you came home. So all I knew was medical sales. So I just kind of jumped right back into medical sales, used my contacts and, you know, just got back into it. And it was so much fun. But again, I always kind of knew in the back of my head when it was time to leave a room and I could feel that coming on. So leading up to kind of me leaving medical sales. I um, met my husband. We got married. He came from a very traditional home where it was like the wife stays home and cooks and takes care of the children. And I just never saw myself as that. But I was like, okay, I guess I can take a step back from corporate world. And I got pregnant and 30 days into not having a job, I was like, no, 
this is not So I started on one point and launched my website, found my first client with Kristen Doty and kind of the rest is history. But moving back from New York, I didn't know what else to do other than what I knew, but it didn't feel right. I knew that it just wasn't, it, it was going to pay the bills and get me through, but it, it just wasn't feeling like prior to my New York days. And it was probably because I've grown. I had, gr- I grew out of that. So it felt yeah. like a backward way of me living, which wasn't a comfortable way. So I always just feel like if you're not growing, if you're not moving forward, it's like a plant, if you're not growing, you're dying. So it's like, I really wanted to keep growing and start something new. Your story about like, you know, that the 30 days of being like, I'm going to be a full-time mom, God. you know, and that kind of trial period is so relatable. I kind of experienced something similar, like during the pandemic. So I got pregnant three months before the pandemic and was sick, sick, sick. Right when I started feeling good, like the pandemic started and I was like, oh, like I've been, I've already been in quarantine for three months and what, like the world is shutting down. But at that point I was just like, all right, I had finished business school not too long before that. I was like, maybe I just, you know, do nothing for a little while and just be a mom. Cause like the world is scary right now. I don't know right. like what it's even looked like to have a kid. And, you know, I still had Bridget going and stuff through all that time. And I think that I just, when I even, I sat with that feeling for a little while and was like, okay, this is not for me, you know, right. <laughs> but I think that you made such a good point that like we don't, we don't know what is for us sometimes until we try it and see how yeah. it feels. And, and the same thing can feel different in your twenties as it does, you know, five, six years later, like after growing up a little bit and reapproaching it and that that's all, all of those try-ons are productive, you know, because right. it's, it's leading you to the next thing. Exactly. So when you started your business, what were like the first things that you did when you're like, I'm starting a business? Like what was the first thing you did when you made that decision? So honestly, I was like, I have to build a website. So luckily my friend is um, a graphic designer and she set me up with a website, Leave Behind Cards, which kind of came from my medical sales background where I kind of had these leave behind cards of what I did. And I pictured myself kind of dropping them off at local companies, which I actually never did, but started with kind of printed media and really thick, like the thickest cardstock uh, business cards I could find. And I just was like, okay, here we go. And I did a photo shoot in my own home. So I brought in, I think, two or three different photographers just to um, stage it three different times. So I staged my house as, you know, three different things in my bedroom, in my closet, in my kitchen and got a portfolio because at that point I had only done friends and family, right? So I wasn't really taking a lot of pictures or doing anything like that. So I was like, I need to, again, just create a presence. And thankfully, you know, Instagram has just been so productive and businesses these days. I feel like it's such good exposure. So I started my Instagram page. I started my website. And I had these leave behinds in my cards and um, just kind of started launching. I emailed, I think, 200 of my friends to say, this is what I'm doing because I felt like I'm going to hold myself accountable. And if I speak it out and this is what I'm doing, I have to keep going. Right. So I just said, please follow me on Instagram. You know, please refer me. This is what I'm doing. And then I reached out to Kristen and was like, hey, I would love to, you know, come and organize you and get you all set up and moved into your own new home. And it just really started to snowball from that. And yeah, I mean, again, I just feel like put yourself in the room, do it. You know, 
I tried to do, I think a year ago or two years ago was like, I'm really good at planning parties. And so I'll do kind of a, you know, home on point, but then party on point. And 30 days uh-huh. into it, I realized, okay, this is a lot more work with a lot less pay. And me and my friend that were starting to put it on, were like, yeah, this is not, it's not going to come to fruition. And you could feel that pretty early on, which with Home on Point, I knew that this was going to be successful. And if I didn't try Party on Point, I would have maybe always thought, oh man, I wonder what event planning would have been like. Oh man, I wonder if I could have been successful in that. But if I didn't try and immediately go, oh, this isn't for me and just pivot back to Home on Point, which is successful and is amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, you just, I never want something to feel like, oh, I should have done this or I should have tried that. I'm, I'm like, let's try it. And if we like it, great. You know, I got an Amazon storefront with one of my assistants who set me up with a like to know an Amazon storefront. And it was so great. But for me, and it is lucrative. Like if anyone's into doing that, that's a very lucrative, great thing to do if you have a platform. But I was like, this is a lot of extra time for me and it's not for me. But maybe as I would see someone else do that, you might always wonder, oh, maybe I should do that. But for me, I'm like, then do it. Then do it. You're never going to know if you don't try. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's so valuable for especially, you know, the young women that we we talk with. I think that curiosity, I think, is one of the greatest gifts that we can have. I think it's such a positive attribute. But it can also be overwhelming. You know, right. if you're a very curious, positive person, interested in the world and opportunities and aware of, you know, all the different things that life can give, it can make you very optimistic, but it can also be overwhelming in that like, oh, but what if, you know, FOMO of this or like, what if I tried that? Or like, maybe I should switch and try that instead of what I'm doing, you know, that it's like, okay, well, if you know that you have the capability to try something, if there really is an interest there, you can, you can try yeah. it. And if it doesn't work out, you can eliminate it and see that as more focus rather than just yeah. failure, you know? Yeah. And it just kind of brought me back to my childhood where my parents were always like, get in there, get in the room. You don't have to be the team captain. You don't have to, you know, it's not about perfection, but just get involved. So I, I think that that's helped in my world of growing up in business where I just always thought, yeah, you know, this over self-confident person that was like, I can do anything. And then obviously, you know, for something like an event planning company that wasn't going to come to fruition, I'm not going to just keep going in a cycle that wasn't going to be successful. And it, I always know when to leave a room, left the room. But I think trying is the biggest thing. I want to tell my kids, you have to just get in there. You have to try. You know, you might, if we sign up for soccer, you're going to see that through. And if you, if it's not something you really love, okay, let's try something next year. What do you want to do? Basketball, because you have to do something. I think growing up, it was really instilled that idle minds a devil playground. And too much downtime is actually really destructive. And so my 30 days that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom, which I didn't have kids at the time, I was just pregnant, just seemed like my mind was going a little cuckoo. I didn't know what to do with myself. And there's only so much cooking and house stuff you could do and shopping. I mean, it just felt very empty. So I don't know. I'm just a big proponent of get in there, you know, get in there and get involved and have fun. And it's not about perfection. It's just about the experience. Totally. Well, and to also be aware, you know, you've said a couple of times, like, you know, when to leave a room. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing in that is that you are aware of the feedback that the people around you, that your business, that, that life is giving you, that it's like, put yourself out there, try something, 
but then also like watch and see what happens, you know, and be okay with like, okay, I'm going to exit here or I'm going to pivot here, or this is a win and I should keep going. You know, just having that openness to life's feedback, I think is um, such a cool part of your personality. Yeah. So how did you kind of figure out, you know, you're starting a brand new business in an industry that you hadn't really been in, um, but obviously you're interested in. How did you figure out like pricing and that kind of thing? How did that start off for you and how did you kind of refine it as you went on? Yeah, that's a really good question. So originally, you know, I just saw everybody else in the industry, which I was so grateful for people that had paved the way because organization and organizational companies were so new when I was starting in 2020. Um, the home edit was just starting to emerge. Um, a lot of those reality shows about tidying up and everything were just starting yeah. to come out. So they really kind of laid down the groundwork. I think if I started two years prior, I would have to have spent maybe 20 minutes in a pitch to tell people why I'm worth what I'm telling people what I'm worth versus people seeking me out and understanding the value. So I think originally, you know, having other people pave the way that this is a value was very important because I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to sell the value in it. But I do feel like you have to immediately when you're starting a company set precedence that your time is money and it is valuable and nothing's going to be for free. You know, when I worked with celebrities, that is within a trade where you are getting so much publicity and you are getting so many benefits and other clients through that. But it's not something where if you just keep working for people and not charging, I mean, how are you going to create success and be able to build employees and pay your employees, you're going to be at a deficit. So right away, I just kind of knew that I knew my value. I knew my worth. I saw other people in the community of, you know, what they were doing. And I just said, I'm going to be a little bit of a high watermark because I've built multiple homes. I can come in here and actually help build out people's kitchens and closets with functionality. Obviously, I'm not a designer. I don't do CAD, but I can kind of come alongside teams and help them. So I just knew that it was a little bit more of an elevated experience when they were going to be working with me. And I did a really good job at presenting that. So I started with different packages. I always would do a walkthrough with a client. I think when you're working with clients and you're in their home, again, I realized being welcome into other people's homes when I was working as a nanny and feeling that sense of vulnerability from the family. Um, You're walking in, you're opening every drawer, you're going through their cabinet, their personal items, their closet, their pantries. I mean, you're seeing stuff that some of their best friends probably don't even know that they have moldy potatoes in the back or that they have, you know, a wad of old clothes stacked behind something and all these things. So you're really like in their vulnerable space. So with the walkthrough, I feel like it helped with Everything that I had done prior, medical sales, by selling myself, by reading a room, by understanding different personalities and being able to talk to different personalities with my nannying position, being invited in somebody's home, having that respect for them. So I felt like everything had kind of led me to this moment of really feeling like a privilege to be in somebody's home and so excited to get them and their family into this higher functioning state of living. It makes me really excited. Like that has to be something if anyone's really interested in being an organizer or going into organizational design and you love the before and afters and you feel like you have a knack for it and you've done it with your friends and family, 
you really have to take a step back and make sure that it's exciting. And it's like everybody that works on my team, we just get so excited and thrilled by this whole fact of being in someone's home and making it better. And it has to be a passion. I think the skill of learning how to fold something, you can always learn that. But at first and foremost, with organizing, it has to be a passion because you are up close and personal with people and your clients. It is grueling sometimes. I always tell girls when I'm hiring them, I'm like, listen, you might like the pretty pictures, but are you okay sitting on a bathroom floor folding towels for an hour? Like, it's not just this glamorous job. And I wouldn't ask anyone on my team to do something that I haven't done or won't do, right? So it's really important to make sure that it's a positive experience. I think that a lot of people that have come to start to work with Home on Plate I've worked with other organizational companies and they're like, oh, no one talks or there's not a lot of camaraderie or, you know, no, there's not a lot of positivity. And I'm like, we're in someone's home. We have to kind of make a feeling feeling better and safe and secure. So it's yeah. really kind of just getting in there and having the passion for it, but also realizing you're in someone's personal space and personal home. Yeah. And making that feel like very comfortable. Very comfortable. So cool. Yeah, you know, I think that obviously your your optimism, your like perseverance and your ability to just kind of jump into situations informs your brand and kind of your approach as a company for someone that, you know, because I think at this point, a lot of us have read like the Marie Kondo and like all these different things, like approaches, right, to like how you kind of dive into a home. Like, is there like a first step, like an entry point that you kind of use um, or a perspective or a question you ask. Um, if there was a young person that was like, oh, I want to try this. I want to see if like organizing is right for me or if it excites me. What would you suggest doing? Yeah, I would suggest um, if you want to get involved, look up somebody that is, you know, in your area that is doing it already and say that you'll come and work with them for a day. I always have a trial interview with people that work with me because Sometimes it's something where, again, they see online or they see your Instagram and they see the before and afters like, this is so cool. I want to be a part of this. Or they see the celebrities that we're working with. They're like, this is so cool. But you have to really, really like it. And it has to be something where it is long days. You know, it's, it's grueling sometimes. So is that something that is something you love? And I always have interviews after the girls work with me like, okay, what was your high and low? What was your peak and pit? And I really want to know long-term what their goals are. Where do they want to go? Do they want to be an organizer? Do they want to be in what industry? Is this just a, um, you know, stopping point? Is this a growing point? And it's just un to understand. And it's really cool if you can kind of partner with somebody that can kind of mentor and see that through and give you the opportunity to see if that's something you want to do. I think having an opportunity to see if that's something that would be beneficial for you and the employer, or if you want to go out on your own and do it, um, just start doing it, you know, and when it comes to the first steps, it's you really with the clients are doing a walkthrough, evaluating them. And then from there, kind of creating a pay structure based on how much work is going to be involved. You know, I think a lot of people will see online maybe one little snippet, but they're not realizing that that project was two weeks versus maybe two days. So every project is so different. And Every client is so different. Every experience and uh, functionality behind what we're building for them is so different. I love that. 
you mentioned you obviously have so many tips and tricks when it comes to living a more functional life and kind of strategies for starting a decluttering process. Can you share some of those with us or even just like mentalities or beliefs when it comes to the approach? Yes, definitely. So like I kind of said in the beginning, I am a mix of a clutter bug and somebody who strives to be a minimalistic person. So with that, I have been really big on I will help guide my clients, but I'm not going to push them to do something that necessarily I can't do myself. I'm not the type of person that's just going to have two pairs of jeans. I'm going to have multiple pairs of jeans. So we live in Southern California, so it's not like we have heavy winters and heavy coats and stuff like that. But I do think having a seasonal closet is so important. So backstock, find a spot. It could be under your bed. They have like those Ziploc bags where you can make something that's going to be, you know, five feet into five inches. And you just put it under your bed, label it summer and put it away, you know, so then you can have a seasonal closet if you're not ready to actually go through and purge. I think assistance is really good. So whether you're going to hire an organizer or you just need your best friend to come over and have one of those sex and city moments of keep, donate, toss, like you really have to be honest with yourself. I mean, can't be holding on to a t-shirt that you haven't worn in forever and isn't serving you and you're not going to wear again, right? So it's like, just make room for new things. It has to be a mentality behind it. And it is hard in the beginning. A lot of this is mental. You know, a lot of people hold on to things and it is really hard for people. It's not an easy thing. Some people are just like gone, 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 gone. But most of us have things that they're holding on to and God, how freeing to let go. You know, it's it's so nice to make room for new things. And I, I'm a firm believer that if you're holding something in your hands, like it, the universe isn't going to hand you something else. Your hands are full. You have to put that down to be able to receive something new. So it's really deep with the organizational aspect of it and component of it where you really have to make room. I mean, even if you're doing a kitchen, how many spatulas do you need? 10 of them are probably yeah. old and disgusting and probably poisonous at this point. And it's just kind of getting that in your mind that it's okay to let go and you don't need to over shop to fill in these gaps. So would you say that you have, you know, if someone's trying to figure out where to start, um, some people believe like you have to do it all at once, you know, and like make time for it. Like if you're going to, if you're going to edit your closet, you need to pull out your whole closet and like really like edit it from, you know, as a whole. Or do you believe that you can kind of do things like a little bit here and a little bit there? Do you have an opinion when it comes to that type of organizing? Yes, I have a strong opinion because unless you're going to hire a team, which sometimes we come in with 15 people, right? And we're spending four days. And what we're doing is essentially, I mean, selling time and the talent that we can bring and the knowledge that we have being in this industry to help somebody and help them get to a functional lifestyle. But if you want to do this on your own, it is not just let's explode your house and overwhelm you. I don't think that that would be successful. I think it would stress most people. I would stress me out. I think if you're going to do something and you have 20 minutes, like do your bedside drawer. You know, everybody's bedside night drawer is probably full of papers and wrappers and pens and stuff that might not necessarily be there. Just start small. You know, maybe do your bathroom drawer and get some 
simple containers and like maybe a little label maker and just go slow. Unless you're willing to, you know, hire a professional team that is going to come through with all the containers. We know exactly what to buy for exactly what room. This is what we specialize in. You're going to have to take it slow. You know, even if it's like, hey, this week I'm going to start editing my closet. So I'm going to edit 20 minutes a day and try and fill three bags, you know, and then maybe you end up filling five bags of stuff that you're going to go donate and that you're never going to wear again. And then you get to look at your closet and go, wow, this feels so much brighter and better. And I actually need like three white tops. I need a tank top. I need this black top. I need a sweatshirt. And you know, actually pieces that you're missing that you need to go buy that you couldn't even see. You didn't even understand or know that you had things that you really did need because getting dressed was, you know, becoming for me, when my closet gets a little bit too crammed, it becomes overwhelming, right? So right now I'm um, a different size than typical because I'm pregnant. And so I was just staring at a pile of jeans that I couldn't wear. And I was like, get these out of here. This is just not serving me. I can't wear these jeans for probably, let's be real, two years. I got to get them out. And it's nice because then I got to make room and style out my closet and make it pretty for like the purses that I'm going to be wearing and the shoes that I'm going to be wearing because everything else would close for me right now. Getting dressed just seems like difficult. So, you know, just having room and space in your closet, in your kitchen, in your bathroom for things. And we have to realize too, makeup, uh, products, you know, lotions, all that stuff, sunscreen, it expires. It actually has a very, 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 very short shelf life. I mean, I think foundation only lasts nine months and I guarantee all of us are sitting there with foundation that's been around for a lot longer than nine months. So it's just you have to stay on top of it. And it's an everyday thing. It's kind of like working out. You just have to make it a part of your routine and it won't seem as overwhelming if you just do a little bit here and there. Totally. I think it's almost like just a, a perspective and also knowing that like when you're describing your wardrobe and how you're kind of dealing with it being pregnant, I did the same thing and I did it even more like right when I found out I was pregnant with my second, I was like, okay, closet. Like, and I just went through and did my, like my whole closet. I was like, I don't want to, you know, pregnancy is as difficult as it is. I don't want to feel any unnecessary ounce of oh, that doesn't fit me. Yes. Or like, oh, I can't wear that one. I don't want to have any of that negativity when I'm getting dressed in the morning as a pregnant person. Right. So I just went through and I was like, I'm going, whatever, if I don't love it and it doesn't fit me, I'm giving it away yes. or selling it or whatever it is. I'm like, if it's something that's really sentimental and it's a size that doesn't fit me or it's special and I just love it and I can't wait to wear it again, I'm going to put it in away, also away. Yes. You know, and the only things that are going to be in my closet are things that I know that are going to be versatile and fit me while I'm pregnant. And I, I swear it made the, all those body changes so much more positive for me because I didn't have that. It's amazing how much those like little, if there's a little thing off in the way that our lives are functioning, it can really affect your whole day. Like those little moments of disappointment or negativity or mess or clutter or stress, they really impact, you know, on the whole, they add up and exactly. impact our day. Exactly. I always do check-ins with my clients. Like I do a four-week check-in just to make sure, do you need any immediate change? And then I'm like, now live in it, like live in it for four months. And then I'll, I'll check back in with you in four months. And then let's see what worked and what didn't work. And then we can make changes as necessary, right? So 
I think just the having that functionality, like you said, when you walk in your closet and you're going to get dressed and you're going to feel better about yourself. I mean, that really propels you into the whole rest of the day. If I got dressed and I'm not feeling great, that's going to affect my mentality, especially in being pregnant, especially feeling like, you know, I went through four years of IVF. I have more weight on me and not feeling this ooh about my looks, right? I'm still confident and I feel great. I understanding that I'm building a human being, but it's not that same Chanel that could just put on any pair of jeans, any top, feel like I got this and I'm out the door. Now it's like, okay, we got to kind of fix a little bit here, a little bit there. But knowing if I have everything in my closet that fits me, that I have kind of pre-screened to where I know that I like this, this looks good on me, I can get dressed efficiently and quickly and get out the door with two kids. It just makes my life easier. I love that. When you are thinking about, because obviously you're so, you're such a positive person, but like starting your own business is really challenging. If you look back on on starting your own business or any point in your career or personal life, have have there been any moments that really challenged that positivity for you looking back? Of course. I think that no matter how positive you are and how much confidence you have, you're always going to have these thoughts that are going to kind of bring you back down and check yourself back in of being like, are people getting this? Are people responding? And just kind of those little voices and anxieties that you might have. Um, that's a part of life. I think that that's a part of everybody. Or that's at least what I'm telling myself, because that's a big part of me, even though, you know, I lead with positivity and I like to stay in a brighter place. I don't let myself go into a dark place for too long. I think sitting with that and exploring it to a healthy level is great. But if I just stayed in that of, oh, no one's looking at my stories or this isn't catching on or, you know, I'm not going to do that, then I wouldn't keep going. I think what keeps me going is to say, OK, maybe this didn't work. I'll pivot, but I'm going to keep moving forward. So I think as long as you're just moving forward and realizing what works and what's not working and being very aware of, you know, your business and how it's growing and things that could be more beneficial and getting advice, listening to people, getting feedback. You know, I ask my friends all the time, I'll make polls on Instagram. What do you guys want to see more of? What do you guys not want to see? And there's so many DMs of people that are very negative, especially when you're working with celebrities. I mean, you just get DM after DM after DM of their personal feelings about these clients that you're working with. And how horrible and just it's like wow you know it's I always was like gosh stop trolling keep scrolling people like this is a lot and if I'm getting that with just working with these people on a lower lesser level I can only imagine what they're dealing with so I think again there's so many people out there that want to tear you down or just say oh she's lucky oh she just got lucky. No, it's hard work. And I know my worth. I know my value. And you have to just keep moving forward. And some days it's like, nah, I don't I don't feel like I'm doing that great or I don't feel like I'm succeeding. And then you can have a day where you're not feeling that great about yourself. And maybe you need to go for a walk or maybe you need to just chit chat with a friend and catch up and giggle. And, you know, the next day is going to be better. So it's just kind of making sure and having those check-ins with yourself and I always check in with my employees of like, what can I do better? What do you see other organizers doing? You know, how can we build and being open to that? 
Well, we're going to transition towards the end of our conversation. Um, but before we do our fast five, we do like a fast five questions, or you just kind of say whatever comes to mind. And then we have a final question. Um, but before we do that, um, where can people find you? What are some of the different ways they can work with you? Where should they look for you? Yes. So I would say the best place is Instagram at Home on Point. And from there, it kind of funnels into um, all my different platforms and websites. It's really good to go on my website and actually fill out a form, an intake form. But I also work with people from referrals, DMs. We're always looking to hire. I never say that we're full. I always say, let's bring on more assistance. I want to build out more territories in San Diego and LA and build up this brand and build up this business. So we're always looking for new, fresh, fun faces. And yeah, we're just excited. We hope we get to work together in one capacity or another. Okay, well, I'm going to jump into our fast five. Number one, uh, what is your favorite product from the container store? If you could pick one. Oh, that's a good one. I love the spinners. I love the um, acrylic spinners. They're typically with like pantry kitchen, but you could use them for anything. I've used them for like sunglasses, shampoos, sunscreen, jewelry. I mean, it, the options are endless. I think with containers, you have to see beyond what section they are. You know, I... I use spice racks for little baby shoes. And that one really took off on my Instagram. You just have to kind of see what things can be used otherwise. But the spinners are addicting. I always, I've never had a project and not used the acrylic spinners. I don't even know the actual name for them because I feel like we've always paid up our own names yeah. for these products. But Great tip. I love it. For number two, do you have a morning routine? I do. So I always have my kids wake up at seven. I was planning on for this pregnancy to wake up at 5 a.m. That hasn't happened yet. So I typically okay. wake up around 6 to 6.30, um, have my tea in bed, open my windows, and then kind of wait for the kids to wake up on the monitors. I try not to be on my phone right in the morning, but that's the first thing I go to. I check my email, check my Instagram, and then try and just kind of set the tone and have a little quiet time before the chaos. Yeah, I feel that. We like feels weird. It's like when your kids are waking up so early to yeah. also wake up earlier. But it's like we my husband and I do that, too. I'm like, I need a moment. Like I need to just get the coffee into my yeah. body. Yes. In silence. And some, <laughs> I'm like, some mornings that's not the I'm case. Ready. Yeah. And then I'm ready. And sometimes they wake up at six and I'm like, OK, the gun is going off and here we go. But just even 10 minutes uh, alone to drink a hot cup of tea for me is life changing. So good. Um, number three, are you a morning person or a night person? Gosh, growing up, I used to always be a night owl, like always used to be a night owl. And I think in my later years and my motherhood years, I have turned into a morning person. I hope one day I evolve back into a night owl because that was a fun version of Chanel. <laughs> but I am asleep by eight or nine p.m. these days. Love that. God bless. <laughs> we were nine o'clockers too. I never thought I'd be this person. No. It's fantastic to actually be rested, um, especially when you have little ones running around. You exactly. Need uh, number four, what would you think is the hardest part of owning your own business? I think it's just staying on top of everything, right? I have this idea that, you know, I'm just this great boss and checking in with people all the time. But then you realize, okay, I haven't checked in with this employee and making sure everything's good. And then when I do my check-ins, you're like, oh, man, I should have been talking to a week ago or we should have been on the same page. I'm so big about communication. 
I think open communication with your team, it has to be both ways too, right? Is the most important. And then they want to work harder for you. They respect you more. And I want people to be seen, right? So I think that in this type of dynamic where you're working with other people, the hardest part is just keeping up with all the personalities and making sure everybody's feeling seen and heard and appreciated. Well, that is, um, in Bridget world, that is like just our favorite thing to hear because we're all about how communication and great communication inspires confidence which makes you a better communicator. We're obsessed with communication. So I love hearing that. For number five, what is your favorite thing about where we live here in Newport Beach? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I think it's just just the easy way of living. You know, I think sometimes as a mom, I try and overcomplicate it. I'm like, let's go to Disneyland and spend a bunch of money and do this. But it's like, just go to the beach. Just go to the beach and get a shovel and get a bucket and run around and, you know, go get a pizza. And the kids have more fun doing the simple things here. And it's just, it's so amazing to see because that's the way I grew up. It was just, let's go to the beach and grab a cooler and the beauty behind Newport and Orange County. I mean, it's just, it's breathtaking. You go to some of these beaches in Laguna Beach and you're like, wow, I can't believe this is 15 minutes from my home. It's just, it's stunning. It's stunning. Well, for our final question, we always ask this the same question. If you could look back at yourself as a child or a young woman, what was a quality that maybe you didn't appreciate about yourself at the time that that you really love and appreciate now? Yeah, I think probably one of my biggest things I had to learn to overcome is not looking back. I think that I always want to be somebody that is looking forward and I I do do that on paper, but mentally sometimes I'm looking back, whether it's, you know, a period of my life when you move on to the next and you kind of think, oh, but junior high was so fun. I can't believe I'm in high school or, oh my gosh, we're in college. I miss all my high school friends and I'm still present and I'm still having a blast. But I think I've had to overcome of not looking back, whether it be a relationship or a time in your life and just keep moving forward and being present in the day that you're in right now. I love that. Well, I think that that just goes to speak to your your optimism, your action mentality, and your just inspiring presence. This has been such a fun conversation um, and so energizing, and I can't wait for our audience to get to know you even better. So thank you so much, Chanel, for your time. And thank you. And look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?